Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema for your free 30-day trial. Go to mubi.com slash filmstage. back ladies and gentlemen to a brand new episode of the film stage show the movie review podcast for the filmstage.com as always i am your host brian j rowan with me today we have michael snydell hello we have bill graham <laughs> and a special guest with us today to talk about the 2002 denzel washington thriller john q it's Lara Zerum. hello how are you doing today i'm great how are awesome. you I I am exhausted, as I so often am <laughs> nowadays. Um, I'm sure we'll get into it in our before the uh, before the scenes. Oh boy, it's gonna be a quarantine bad episode. corner. How about that? Our quarantine it, corner. Is that like two COVID corner? Is that trivializing the very real uh, effects of COVID? If we say if we come up with a cute name like that, no. I think if we don't do that, we let the virus win. <laughs> I love the real awkward silence that just happened there. So excited for this. Um, yes, we will all do our quarantine updates soon, and I can talk about how tired I am, which is my favorite part of every episode now. But otherwise, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're here. We're here because we are going to talk about the 2002 Denzel Washington starring thriller, John Q., uh, which is about a father who takes a hospital hostage so that his son can get a life-saving heart <laughs> transplant. Uh, we're going to get into why we're talking about this, because I am still confused about that. <laughs> um, we are also currently streaming live on YouTube. Uh, for anyone who didn't listen to last week's episode, this is something that we are trying so that our fans can listen in live and shout at us in real time if they so desire. Uh, what up guys? Hope you're doing great. If you're listening, uh, apparently we currently have two people listening to us, which <laughs> might be two people too many. Um, before we get into the rest of the episode, the usual stuff, find us on Twitter at film stage show, Facebook, the film stage show, email us podcast, the And of course, give us a comment and a rating on iTunes. You can also become a patron by going to patreon.com slash the film stage show for as little as one dollar an episode. You can uh, get access to our Slack channel, be entered into all our movie raffles and generally help us to continue producing this show, even in this state of uh, turmoil and uncertainty. We are also brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema where every day their fantastic curators bring you a brand new film to watch and enjoy. You can watch these films on the go. Uh, of course, you can't go anywhere, but you can watch them on all your streaming devices. You can download them to your device, and uh, every film persists for 30 days before disappearing, so you have a constantly rotating selection of films to watch and enjoy. The film of the day today, Anululi Amapur's A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Now, we didn't review this particular film. We did, however, review... <laughs> What was the, the follow up? The, the follow up. Batch. Yeah, the Bad Batch, which uh, had some style, had some flair, was not for us, but I've heard great <laughs> things about A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. The synopsis yeah. is yeah. as follows It's a fun movie. 
In the shadows of Bad City, a lawless hellhole inhabited by underworld figures, drug addicts, and pimps, lonesome vampire wanders around. Dressed in a job and a striped t-shirt, she follows local villagers. One night she meets Arash, an Iranian James Dean lookalike. There is an instant attraction. So, if you would like to have a free 30-day subscription to movie, all you gotta do is go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Again, that is mubi.com slash film stage and that is that we can now um move on to our quarantine corner Woo! yay all right uh so yeah uh, this is just a moment for all of us to address the elephant in the room and of course that is the fact that we have all had to make giant changes to our lives and lots of things are happening and we don't have control over most of them uh laura how are you doing yes. during this whole uh, pandemic scenario that we are trapped in? I mean, it's crazy. I feel personally pretty lucky. I'm I'm doing okay. I have a job still and, you know, I I nothing's like disastrous in my life. So, I'm lucky so far. My city hasn't been hit like it's I mean, it's got it, but it's it doesn't feel too catastrophic, although I'm sure it is and you just can't see it. But um, yeah, I it's horrific to like read about what's going on every day. But I personally feel like I'm I can't really complain. I uh, cut my boyfriend's hair today. It was great. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the really, greatest show I've of trust. Bread, I've been cutting hair. I've been yeah. I've it's been uh, I'm rising to this challenge, you guys. I'm I'm thriving, frankly. <laughs> so <laughs> was this a voluntary haircut or an involuntary haircut? You think she held him down and force cut his hair? Is that what you're saying? No, no, no. It was long, he was pretty passive. He was like, yeah, whatever, do what you want to do. Um, I looked at a YouTube video. It worked out pretty well. All right. Nice. Michael Snydell, how's things in a uh, shy town? Um, well, my mayor is still yelling at people to stop congregating. Um, other than that, things, things seem okay. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm starting to, to lose it a little bit and <laughs> it's just, I, I think it's, my partner and I are realizing how weird we are when confined in a single space and no one being like, why are you being so strange or weird? And just, I'm not sure I'm going to know how to talk to people after this. Yeah. Well, we can practice it now. Oh, I mean, if you really want to, sure. (laughs) I mean, hopefully we have a conversation today. I just, yeah, just, I I feel like I've snapped like multiple times and I I don't quite understand how that works. Snapped in, in what way? Like a Slim Jim? Like you like, like punched a hole in the wall. You like just started like babbling uncontrollably. Started playing a spatula like a banjo. You know, that's that's next. I, I, spatula is kind of a weird thing to play as a banjo, though, isn't it? I well, mean, I you feel wouldn't like be actually tips. playing it. You'd just be pantomiming it and going. You know what? Now, now I'm a little worried about you, Brian. Uh, <laughs> I, I think that's going to be the end of my quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bill Graham, what about you? Uh, so I, like many people, am trying to clean out my cupboards and, you know, uh, make sure I utilize what I have in my refrigerator and freezer and, you know, all that good stuff. So um, 
for some reason, I was on a kick of eating sardines because they're really cheap. They're also really healthy. They're fairly sustainable. But, you know, they don't – even as a eater of sardines, I won't <laughs> say that they taste particularly great. They're not – you know, th- there's, there's something about – opening sardine cans uh, with your fiance nearby where she just starts walking into the other room and you're like, yeah, I get it. I I get it. (laughs) Um, But so I've put myself into a corner. I have about 14 of these cans and I've decided that for the rest of the week, I am going to devour them. So these are my main meat or protein source for the next week or so. And I've already prepped all my, my sides, my, my carbs, my, my vegetables, my fats, whatever. But these are, these are now it. And I'm about two or three in at this point. And I'm, <laughs> I'm starting to go a little crazy already. I'm like, oh boy, I'm really going to have to spice these up. <laughs> How are you trying to hide sardines? That that doesn't seem like a, a thing. So mainly I'm making like a pate, uh, if you know okay. what that is. So yeah, I'm yeah. just mixing it with veggies and dumping some spices on there and just hoping that, that I can put it on some bread or uh, just make it, make it the side dish instead of the feature. <laughs> this sounds like a move of desperation. Bill. <laughs> Actually in the, in the chat, uh, we can finally say this. Someone actually said something. Uh, Matt Zipola said, this is the most quarantine thing I've heard in about a week. And I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this is, this is me doing this to myself. Um, you know, I think the reason I've stockpiled them is because I went through a phase where I was, I was like, all right, I'm going to throw these in like once a week or like once, you know, every few days and it'll be great. And I just never got around to it. And so now I have like, you know, 14 of these things left around and I'm like, look, and, and that's what I told Erica. I was like, I was like, I'm going to eat through these. And she was like, you're not going to buy any other meats. You're a horrible human this- being. I can't believe you would do this to you. You, you were, again, you were quarantined in a, in a home with another person who cannot leave you. And you were doing this to them. Yeah. What is your breath like right now? Bill? <laughs> down some chocolate. So I'm hoping so that masked it a little bit. Yes, probably. I am. Uh, I'm going to have to, luckily we don't, we don't have to like, uh, stay in super close proximity to each other um you know we we own a a decent sized house so she can go in the other room if she is not feeling my vibe (laughs) mother of god all right well as far as me anyway um (laughs) i'm still doing the distillery thing we're still producing hand sanitizer still also producing booze uh i'm exhausted all the time i'm still working my nine to five and um Life is really just, it's weird how quickly this has become normal. Mm-hmm. I yeah. actually, I went into Costco today and I was like, you know, I understand there's a life-threatening pandemic happening, but uh, I kind of like that they're only letting a certain amount of people in at a time. It, it, <laughs> is, it is oddly nice to, like, to like drive around and not have a bunch of traffic everywhere you go. It's uh, okay. it, it, However... <laughs> Everyone who is still on the roads is driving 10 miles below the speed limit, and it's driving me crazy. <laughs> they don't want to get pulled over because they nearly, do not have a I, reason. One of these days, I'm going to get John cued, is what I'm saying. 
I'm going to be the weird sort of like F story in John Q. <laughs> and that's a great segue, I think. I think we should now jump into John Q. Nice. Any other statements or announcements smooth, before we move smooth. on into the thing? <laughs> no. Nope. Let's get into this. All right. Let's do it then. Again, we are talking about John Q today, a 2002 film from director Nick Cassavetes, who, you may know, also directed The Notebook and also played the the best, like, tertiary character in Face Off. Y'all know what I'm talking about? The guy who who asks, he's like, hey, Sean, how's your dead son? (laughs) He's also the guy who screams no more drugs for that man after Nicolas Cage uh, gives his face off monologue. Anyway, I just I feel like I really need to say that every time I bring up this movie or the fact that that man then directed The Notebook. (laughs) I I like that he did John Q, The Notebook, Alpha Dog and My Sister's Keeper. This guy has range. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. That's and crazy. then like nothing else, and I looked him up, and he, he got divorced and hasn't done anything since. Oh, yes, nice. the uh, the blonde woman, <laughs> the blonde, uh, I guess abuse. How how do I say? Huh? The abuse victim? Yes. There you go. Yeah, that's her. That's his wife. Yeah, ex-wife. Oh well, yes. Oh. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That All right, well, we just, okay. we just broke this Whoa. movie goddamn wide open for Michael <laughs> Snydell. Um, this movie also has one of the most stacked casts that mm-hmm. I have ever seen. Let's start at the top. Kevin Connolly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. No, uh, it's got Denzel Washington. It's got James Woods back when he was a thing. It's got Robert Duvall. It's got Ray Liotta. I mean, it, it's, and, it's and crazy. And Ash. Bananas. <laughs> They're all over the place. Yeah. It's got Dewey. Play. <laughs> yeah, Dewey. Good old Dewey. To bring it back to another uh, Den's Toberfest or yes. Den's Ebruary. Mm-hmm. Or... Yes. Uh, anyway, uh, we're going to play the trailer and then we're going to talk about it. Um, anything else before I bring up uh, the trailer? Nope. So without further ado, here is the trailer for John Q. Lieutenant Frank Grant, Chicago Police Department. Are you the man in charge? That's right. Well, who am I speaking to? John Q. I assume since all the doors are locked, this is a hostage situation. Is that correct? Okay. Bless me, Father, for I've sinned. All right, so that is part of the trailer for John Q. This movie stars Denzel Washington as a father pushed to the edge by the uh, heartless bureaucracy and economic realities of the American healthcare system. Who takes an entire emergency room hostage so that uh, he can get a heart transplant for his son after it turns out that his HMO will not cover the operation. We are talking about this movie because, uh, Laura, you reached out and just said you want to talk about it. Is that right? Am I misrepresenting what happened? (laughs) Yeah, and and maybe mention it another time, laugh about it one more time, you guys. But you said yes, so clearly you were interested in talking about it. We have John a standing Hugh, we have a, a standing order <laughs> that um anytime anyone wants to talk about any movie that involves Denzel Washington, we say yes and we try to well, do yeah, it as quickly I as mean, possible. Appropriately. We have no less than three different scenarios that we can use to justify 
Denzel Washington. We have Den's February. We have Denzember and um Denstoberfest. But we created a fourth just for this. Uh we are, of course, don't, none of us in the it. same room. And we are being very socially conscious. We are social denstancing. Oh. <laughs> I thought maybe we were gonna say Denzel Washing Springs. Oh, Denzel Washington Springs is, is good too. Yeah. That's the whole season. Yeah, exactly. That's the great thing. It can go for several months. Nice. Although I think Den's Densemberary is like four months crammed into one, but also <laughs> skipping over one. But yes, we are big fans of uh Denzel Washington. And we're here to talk about this movie. Um, so let's let's get into it. Let's uh, we're we're gonna do like I guess the spoiler free just up front, but like I'm not gonna have a spoiler section. This movie is 18 years old. <laughs> <laughs> so whenever someone feels like jumping into spoilers, they can feel free to do it. So Lara, let's start with you. Uh, what are your general feelings on John Q? I love John Q. Um, I always have. I probably always will. Uh, th- I love this stupid movie. Like, I know it's stupid. I know it got panned when it first came out and, you know, maybe rightly so. Um, but this movie has everything. Like you said, it has Denzel Washington. It has Eric from Entourage. It has James Woods. It has um, it has Ray Liotta as this, like, preening sort of captain who wears, like, all of his stars on his uniform um and mugs for the camera it's just it's the most ridiculous movie um but i've always loved this movie and you know i i was thinking about why i still appreciate this movie even though it's like very clearly very very broad strokes to put it uh to put it lightly um but sometimes sometimes something that is almost you know it's almost a symbol rather than a thing itself. That's how broad it is. Um, there's something kind of satisfying about that too, where, you know, the evil person is super evil. Um, you know, Denzel Washington will literally stop at nothing to, <laughs> to save his kid. Um, I don't know. It's just a dumb movie that I love. Did you see it in theaters, Lara? Or when did no. you like come upon it? I, you know, this movie to me is like the sort of ultimate on TV movie. I probably watched it a million times when it was like just on TV. Um, that's sort of the exact like middle, complete middle ground, like middle brow kind of mid budget Hollywood schlocky thriller that I kind of miss that you don't see that often these days. Um, it, it doesn't really have to be good. And that's kind of why it's so much fun. And I, yeah, I don't think I, I don't think I, it was one of those movies that every time I saw that it was on TV, I had to watch it. Um, but I'm sure I rented it or something and, and I watched it all the time. All right. Michael Snydell. Yeah. So I, I don't know why I originally saw this, but I saw this in theaters. (laughs) Um, Look, this demands a theatrical experience. And I saw it with my my dad, and I remember us being one of the only people in the theater on like a Saturday afternoon or something. So I, I my memory is not reliable, but I will say <laughs> that yeah, I I had kind of remembered that this this got panned pretty harshly. Uh, in in the past, I remember reading like Ebert's review at the time. Um, and I was actually talking about it on Twitter today, and uh, Aaron Hammond actually 
uh, messaged me or didn't message. He responded and he was saying that, interestingly enough, he read a few reviews where Anne Hesh's character was the one that they thought was cartoony and was unbelievable, <laughs> which is, is is fascinating to me. So I, Her name I don't. It was Rebecca Payne. <laughs> 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 and she's the hospital director. <laughs> yeah, it's. But like, I, I guess the thing about this movie is I almost think you're not giving it quite enough credit, Lara, because I think this is a, like, fascinating, like, time capsule of, like, a very specific 2002 political attitude, like, a very specific Hollywood version of the Midwest, like, a very specific idea about working-class people and institutions. (laughs) Like, I jokingly on Twitter said, you know what? You know, give me Clint Eastwood's version of this. <laughs> I was realizing, you know what? It wouldn't be that much different. <laughs> yeah, no, it's you're totally right, and I want to talk about that later because I, I, I think that's that is what makes it so interesting, and and is, you know, like a, yeah, for sure. We'll this is amazing because I definitely need to talk about Richard Jewell later <laughs> in sure. this episode in relation to this movie. Sure. Yeah. No, I mean, that was one thing I was definitely thinking about, but like the thing I will say finally is like. So I think the actual subject of this movie is a really good thing to make a movie about. Like, I was really failing to try to understand or try to think of movies that have been uh, interesting about health insurance. And the only thing I could come up with was uh, Extraordinary Measures with um, Brendan Fraser and Harrison Ford and uh, Side Effects, two very similar movies. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong. Is Mr. Incredible in The Incredibles, is he health insurance or home insurance? Um, I think it's home insurance. Oh, damn. Okay. But either way, like, I guess what I'm saying is I think there's, like, a really power... This movie's, like, really powerful despite itself, despite the fact that there's, like, an insane number of racist and sexist caricatures that are, uh, insane. (laughs) Like, the way people talk about each other is, like, it's just so bizarre. Like, like at one point someone defends uh, beating up his girlfriend by saying, I was drunk. All right. (laughs) And I cannot imagine that in a movie in 2020. So this is like, this is a fascinating time capsule in a lot of ways. And there's a lot of things that are, let's say creaky about it. (laughs) But um, yeah, like I found it a lot more interesting than i was expecting to in terms of like the conversations i think it can start all right bill graham yeah this movie is wild um (laughs) i'm not sure when i ran across this i I definitely did not see this in a theater um i think more than likely i probably watched it on tv um i may not have even watched it all the way to through from beginning to end at any point um, until earlier today. Um, But it hits all the notes that I kind of expected it, but it also does some interesting stuff. I think, I think some of the performances are actually like quite good. Uh, His coworker is really good. He gives like a a really like emotional speech. And I was, I was kind of like, Holy shit, this guy's like going for it. Um, there's a scene of a 
uh, fairly athletic doctor, I will call him, or I guess nurse, where he takes off and starts running, and you're just like, dude, what about a phone call? Is it, is the, and and so like as he's like, system maybe, like, yeah, yeah. Know, as, as as he's like running through the hall, I I told my fiance, I was like, I was built for this. <laughs> So yeah, that's uh, that's that's some insights that I, I have about this movie. Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it, but it is it is quite wild. Um, <clears throat> also, Eddie Griffin uh, apparently we- wears his same outfit from Undercover Brother, which uh, he he also made in two thousand two. So I think he just went he was straight from time. <laughs> yeah, he went straight from from the end sequence of this film into right into Undercover Brother. He was just like, uh, I, I don't have time to change wardrobes, and like, it's fine, Eddie. It's fine. Eddie, we actually wrote no dialogue for you. Uh, you, you are here to ad lib. There is going to be a camera on you at all times, and we will cut you in whenever we feel like it's necessary. Oh, you said that man who beats his girlfriend was a member of the Slapaho tribe? Great. Perfect. That's what we want. That is That's both uh, racist and sexist, and uh, it's perfect. as we want in this movie. I am... Um, now that I've said that, uh, I, I saw this movie like with my parents when we rented it from uh, Blockbuster, I think. And it's weird because I have so few memories of so many things, you know. Um, but I remembered every second of this movie for some reason, even though I've only seen it the one time. Which has to say something for it. I don't know if like my brain was just a sponge back then. Or what? But I was watching this and I was like, it is bizarre how firmly I remember every instant of this movie. <laughs> and like, it also doesn't speak well to the movie because I, in my head, said to myself, like, isn't that that's the movie where like there's like sort of some thriller, thriller elements, but like every 20 minutes they like stop for a 10 minute scene where the characters just have very obvious conversations about what's wrong in America. And um, my brain was not wrong. Uh, my brain was incredibly correct. This movie is heavy-handed. Might be too light of a a word to throw at this movie. But that being said, uh, this movie, I think, should be required viewing for anyone who doesn't understand why Denzel Washington is an amazing actor. (laughs) This, like, he is an island in the center of this movie, giving a thorough, nuanced, beautiful performance the kind of performance that literally only Denzel Washington can give mm. in a sea of, of cartoons and other cartoons and slightly more obvious cartoons. This man stands tall above all of them and still is able to tug at heartstrings and, and get some gut punches in. And even though, I, and maybe because of this this terrible script, he is able to, to really just shine in this movie. Um, other characters have no consistency whatsoever um there are no arcs for anyone he's the only person who's doing a thing and he is purely an avatar of this idea of like a a a single man striking out with righteous indignation against an unfair system but he grounds it so much that you watch it and you're just like i like this movie could be so much worse it could literally be populated by turtles with signs on them that say what their character is. 
And with Denzel Washington at the center of that turtle parade, it would still just be a very compelling movie to watch. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about this because uh, I don't even remember if we said it on mic or not. This movie has big 90s energy all over it, and I was shocked to learn that it was made in 2002. And yes. There's just like like um like the the Bruckheimer esque guitar riff that plays whenever mm-hmm. they show the growing crowd outside of the ER. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie does feel like it should have been made by Tony Scott. It feels like it really wants to have been made by Tony Scott, um, but it was not. And I think that as all movies do, it suffered for not having been made by Tony Scott. <laughs> Uh, but we'll talk more about that. So that's that's John Q. Uh, it's a complicated movie to come after. Um, but I do at up front just want to say, like, you cannot say anything bad about Denzel Washington in this movie. <laughs> the man's unstoppable. He was in a movie called Unstoppable. I didn't even mean to do that. He's just a great actor. He he never gives less than 100 percent. And he's never anything less than than honest on screen. The man never told a lie on camera. He's just great. Um so let's uh let's get into to John Q. The movie opens <laughs> with a car accident in the Swiss Alps. Which I'm sorry, but she <laughs> deserved she didn't deserve to die obviously, but she like, like yeah. she is so dumb about it. Well, that's the so uh, <laughs> I don't understand why this is the way you start this film. Like I this is I think this is maybe one of the reasons why I love this movie so much. Just like there are so many choices like this yes. that you're just like, why? And but but somehow I think, you know, to whoever was saying I I lost who it was was who was saying that for some reason you remember like every minute of this movie. Yep. I just I feel like there's just something about some just a few odd choices. Um that make that make it really stand out or just the way that it sort of seems to be one kind of movie and then it seems to be another kind of movie about like people living in like rural like kind of rust belt america and then it suddenly seems to be another kind of movie about like a thriller and it's a hostage situation and um it's just like they all seem like so um incongruous but but somehow it works it's so weird it and it is i think that that's what elevates this movie beyond being something like um Okay, so there's a movie called, like, Killer Elite, I think, and um, I swore up and down that I'd never seen that movie, and then I was going through my old movie blog, and it turns out that I wrote, like, an 800-word review for it once, (laughs) and I was like, this is impossible. Yes. I, like, I think it's Statham and Owen, I think, Mm -hmm. and um, I read the whole review, and I was like, at some point, this is going to jog my memory about seeing this movie, (laughs) and it didn't, and I still think that maybe I lied (laughs) in my review. And just didn't see the movie because that's how much I'm sure I didn't see that movie. But John Q has the perfect amount of insane choices that stick in your brain. For instance, opening with this car crash, which, again, is in like insanely picturesque mountains. A woman driving like a BMW with a crystal. Moving in and out of one lane traffic (laughs) on a mountain road. (laughs) With a crystal rosary. Just like cranking up Ave Maria. (laughs) Right. And you just watch this and you're like, this is a horrible human being. Like, this is someone who deserves to get hit by a Mack truck. Little do you know that she is immediately going to get hit by a Mack truck. Two Mack trucks, actually. Um, and uh, and then it cuts to, to not that. It cuts to the story of John Quincy Archibald and his family. Um, 
it's just so weird because I even remember watching again just how much this movie sticks in my head i remember watching it with my parents and them kind of going like okay who was that like why did we see that and then i remember i i'm pretty sure that it went like my mother at some point is like oh the woman's gonna be a donor and my dad said didn't she die two weeks ago (laughs) because it's a very weird thing to open a movie with a car accident and then come back to it after like three weeks of story time mm-hmm. and having had the accident just happen. It's especially weird because John, it, it like, I forgot that this is like the very specific thing that I forgot. John is like, I'm waiting on an act of God and then it shows the accident again. So let I know, know that that awful? that's when it happened. <laughs> and I guess. As you said, Laura, it's very awful, but I guess God was like, well, this woman is uh, a horrible human being. She's driving BMW the way, with a crystal rosary. I'm just going to yeah, take her I out. Yeah, yeah, right. The rosary, the, the thing on the, the rear view mirror. I think that's, I mean, that's why they have to make her like the one that it's her fault that she died so that we don't feel bad for her. We can just be happy that this boy is getting her heart. Yeah. It's pretty cool. <laughs> she's, a, cool. Uh, I mean, you know, she's rich. She deserves to die. I don't right. know. She's an icy blonde. Listening to Ave Maria. And as we all know, if you listen to any form of choral or classical music in a movie, you are most likely a serial killer. She <laughs> is. Yeah, she, she had just gotten done murdering somebody. Yes. I, I just realized, like, I, have any of you seen Return to Me? It's actually a, it's a, a romance that my mom really loves. So I saw it a lot growing up. I, is anyone here familiar with that movie? No. Nope. The cover looks super familiar. But. With David Duchovny and uh, Mimi, Mimi Mini Driver. Driver. Mini Driver. Why did I say Mimi? Mini Driver. But yeah, it's, it it kind of opens like this. Like it opens with a crash. Oh my and then God. This very, Jesus. I'm reading this. It's actually kind of good, but it is a bit tone deaf. Um, okay. But it's almost like this John Q... Uh, this exact point you're talking about, Brian, the point where it jumps from this like cold open <laughs> almost to an entirely different family return to me kind of does that too. Um, like where you see this guy's wife die and then uh, spoiler alert, he ends up with in a romance with the woman who got his wife's heart. But um, yeah, so it's like a, a rom-com 21 grams <laughs> actually oh, yes it really is i would you know it's actually fun i'm not trying to hate on this movie at all it's also filmed in chicago so it is it is absolutely not <laughs> <laughs> um oh. i do also want to point out that um beautiful bmw driver is played by gabriella orltine and uh, this is the only thing she ever acted in. And otherwise, she is a production designer and an art director and a costume designer. Well done. Bravo. Indeed. Very strange. Um, so, yes, I just I needed to get that out of the way because I was like, you know, I have this weird recollection of this movie starting with that car crash and I cannot be correct about that. And then it did. And I was like, oh, I'm in for it now. Um, I don't know. Uh someone else say something i don't like how do you how do we even begin to talk about this movie michael you wanted to begin by saying that um this does not scan for you as a movie that is taking place in chicago well yeah uh, so I, i'll actually say something of substance but i'll just say my my brief quibble 
being a Chicago person is that in there no, were no Aldermans. Way, in no way are they that close to Chicago and in cornfields. Cornfields are not in like Chicago suburbs. Like it's very weird because it feels like it's trying to be this post-industrial, you know, like Chicago suburb town, like a, you know, a Cicero or something. And that's not at all what it feels like. And also it's just truly bizarre the street corner that the hospital is on that they're trying to pretend is Chicago for it's a funny you should reasons. say this. It's actually it was filmed in Toronto, um, <laughs> where I live, but the scenes where they're like in near their home and it's more rural, for some reason were filmed in like rural Alberta. Like they didn't even go outside of Toronto. So it doesn't look like outside of Toronto either. <laughs> like you've got to get across the country to find those kinds of uh, fields so I mean like maybe there's a reason why it scans is like completely not believable but yes well, the, the joke I made uh, before we started is that uh, it, it, no Chicago movie should ever have the people cheering on a police chief when he arrives right. <laughs> the least Chicago thing in history but uh, for many, many reasons. But beyond that, I guess, like, Brian, to pick up where you're coming from, I think, as Laura was saying, like, it's really fascinating because this very much starts as kind of a traditional melodrama. And you get a sense that, like, yeah, they – but it it has a good sense of place. Like, you know, he works at a factory plant, you know. Uh, a factory plant? A plant that makes factories? No. <laughs> Or a factory that makes plants. Uh, Save me then. What is is the wording I'm looking for, Brian? You could just say a factory. Fine. At a factory. Uh, And yeah, like immediately you see that his wife is at least pulling two jobs because they, uh, she seems to be wearing a waitress outfit and she seemed to just start another job too so you, you get a sense i i think this movie actually it, it's really weird because i think that it actually does a good job with a lot of the small stuff it, it's just then very confusing when they do all this broad stuff because some of the small stroke stuff i think uh works really well like uh, the way the church is involved like the whole montage where um the whole montage when they're starting to make money. Although I need to say that musical cue, that like acapella gospel okay. song. I need, I, I'm so started. glad you brought this up because I did need to talk about this. This is one of the things that made me think the movie was not from 2000. Cause I was like, this montage is strong enough between the acting and the directing and everything to stand sure. on its own. And it's weird. Cause it does, like you said, have this like soul gospel acapella thing happening in the background and i was like this is such a 2000 or like a this is such a 1990s choice to be like how do we underscore the desperation of this moment and i i would honestly be surprised if that song wasn't produced specifically for this movie to be an oscar contender but they already have like the church music like they could have easily done that like layered that over the montage and i think it would have been uh a lot more interesting and less distracting. Well, right. But this is from a time or actually it's not from a time. If it was from the nineties, it'd be from a time, but it's from a time where like you would have that happen. You would just be like, all right, now here's a a pop song. You know, here's a thing that we're going to do now. But I guess like once again, you, you remember it. Like I I know you're talking about that song. I like, I, 
I, I could sing it right now. Like it's so vivid in my mind, but like that's sort of part, again, what I love about this movie, there's just all these really weird random choices like that, that are kind of off, but that's maybe what makes this movie memorable and feel like something yeah. special in a strange way, which it is. Yeah, no, I, and that's kind of what I was saying. It's like, this is a perfect storm of strange choices <laughs> to make this movie just feel so like weird and like memorable in that way it's and there's so many more once he actually takes the place prisoner uh when he when he starts his hostage situation because like you have all these random ass insert shots of people like screaming stuff that we as the audience can see (laughs) real quick before we get into the actual hospital though i want to i want to bring up what bill already mentioned like speaking of one other like little touch that's like way better than it has any need to be even before you know his best friend does that speech on television like i thought the whole way that their best friends react when michael collapses on the baseball field which you know say what you will that it's like staged in slow motion and everything but like the immediate aftermath of that is like really chilling. Like it's, it's a moment that as much as they like try to sabotage it with some of the syrupy like <laughs> choices, like that's a, a moving moment. And, and I guess yeah. that again speaks to that weirdness you're talking about, Brian, but I just wanted to quickly get to that too. Like, I really think there are a few moments again, that as much as sometimes the filmmaking tries to sabotage it, like, it it just powers through and that's as you're saying like partly because of denzel's like great performance here too but yeah sorry we should get to the hospital i just quickly wanted to to mention that scene because uh i really agree with bill about that it's it's um so we we first meet Anne Heche's character, uh, the most evilest woman on earth. Um, I just like there's a there's a thing that I miss in movies, which is when the bad guy wouldn't even pretend to be a good guy. Mm-hmm. Um, she is so immediately like, let's murder your son. She. Th- this is my favorite part of the movie when she, <laughs> she tells them they're sitting. You know how, like, when you're in a hospital and you find out your kid's about to die and you're in a boardroom. Like for some reason, yeah. they like take this couple to yeah. a boardroom, and instead of the doctor telling them this, it's basic. I mean, the doctor's there too. It's basically Anne Hayes, the hospital director, who gives them the news that their kid is going to die, and like in the same breath, and you can't pay for it, and you need to accept that. <laughs> like, right. it's not even like. So- it's 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 going about things in the worst way because because james woods first stands up and is like okay rust belt couple you know minimum education (laughs) cardiomyopathy blah 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 blah. and then they're like what does that mean he's like your son's heart is garbage (laughs) (laughs) well what i what i love is they bring him into this boardroom and and then he like turns down the lights and I was like, oh, good. It, here's here's projector time. Right. And it's like, no, look at this fucking X-ray that I just put up on this thing over here. Like, why couldn't we just stand up and, and be over here? Why like, couldn't you <laughs> do that in the room with the boy? Like yes. it's and then again, he, he does it. He's like, your son's heart sucks. 
He needs yeah. a new one. And then Anne Hayes is like, and I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> and then Anne Hayes is like, sure, sure, sure. You could get a new heart, or you could watch your child die. And I know which one I would choose for you. <laughs> and then they're like, uh, you know, doctor, would you get the heart transplant? And he's like, well, fuck yeah, I would. I'm rich as shit. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah, and, I can nail this. I can nail this surgery. Right. And then Anne Hayes is like, uh, okay, here's the problem, though. You you suck as people. Um, and I don't like you on a personal level. And you have no money. And so we don't want to. <laughs> it's like, it's. I understand that, like, this is what it must feel like, but I have to believe that if this situation occurred in real life, there would be some layer of bureaucracy that would keep Anne Heche out of the room from telling these people that their son <laughs> needed to die because they were poor. Yes. Yeah, I think I think that's a I don't know if that's like a lawsuit or what that could potentially be. But like you can't have the hospital director being like, nah, we're not we're not going to let this happen. It's just like, what? Oh, <laughs> uh, OK. So yeah, I'm so- sure hospitals have like departments that help you find fun, help you raise funds and stuff like they, yeah, they, really they will. They will. They will lovingly put you into bankruptcy. Yes, absolutely. Like I can't, I can't imagine why. They're like, we can't help you do that. Even like you have to go talk to somebody else, and it's just like like some kindly nurse who chases after them and is like, you've got to do whatever you can. Yeah, but that nurse comes back. The the nurse comes back, and it's John Q. Basically saying like, hey, great idea. (laughs) With a gun (laughs) in my hand. I mean, I mean, jumping, jumping ahead. Do this, nurse. (laughs) <laughs> jumping jumping ahead a little bit I, i'm pretty sure this is the same nurse that ends up uh being held hostage later in the film but at one point you know okay all right fine fuck it uh spoiler alert uh john q decides that or not john q he he goes by archibald throughout the all of this movie except for the name that he gives them for some fucking reason. I don't, I don't know what's going on there. Um, anyways. So I really, uh, sorry, can I, I just like sidebar that because it's really important to point out that he gives the name John Q like, because he doesn't want to give his last name to the cop. <laughs> but the reason why he's doing this and holding this hospital hostage is to get his son a heart. Yes. He's clearly going to have to give the guys, uh, the guy, his kid's last name, and then immediately yes. everyone will know his last name. Right. So. Everyone knows his yeah, last name within I ten minutes, and then yeah. and the he is, is called John Q, and so he is <laughs> referred to exclusively as John Archibald for the rest of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyways, I okay. Well, hold, hold, hold on. Hold on. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. All right. All right. So, so that nurse. Uh, or actually she is a doctor because uh, James Wood calls her a doctor at some yeah. point. Um, so that doctor at one point, uh, John, damn it, Denzel Washington decides that uh, killing himself is probably the only option that he has left. And uh, James Woods finally breaks down and is like, fine, fuck it. If you do this, I will definitely rip your heart out and put it in your son. <laughs> and <laughs> And giant the doctor in your tiny son's body. Yeah. Look, his son's heart. His son's heart's three times the size of a normal heart. So he, he's he's uh, got it. He's fine. But so the doctor, the the female doctor, comes to James Wood and is like, "No, you can't do this. You would be throwing away your medical reputation." And I'm just like, "What? What? 
Wait, what? What? Whose side are you on? What the fuck is going on in this movie? I was so very confused at that point. I was like, there doesn't need to be the opposite. Like, there doesn't need to be the uh, devil's advocate at this point. Like, he just said he's gonna he's gonna perform the surgery. Let it happen. Like, I don't I don't understand why anybody's arguing this. Like, your reputation is on the line. Uh. this is kind of a, a very unique circumstance, I would say. So if you, if the surgery fails, I think it, everything is going to be okay. So wait, is that that's so I, that's that's weird because I I thought she was the one who was outside and told the reporter about the plan to to kill John Q. No, no, no. That's that, because she's still in the building at that time. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think that's a different person, Brian. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, okay. So that's the, Oh, there's so much to talk about in this movie. This is going to be a four hour long podcast. <laughs> One of my favorite things is that this movie, um, like Richard Jewell follows the nineties tradition of having a, uh, completely unethical journalist who only cares about fame, uh, a la die hard, mm-hmm. yeah. which is eighties like actually, um, who, who saves the day by being a jerk and forcing hands, I guess is the way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he doesn't cry though, uh, at a, at a press conference. So, no, you know, he's true. not totally redeemed and John Q doesn't get to punch him, you know? So that's another thing <laughs> Or John Q's wife doesn't get to punch him. I mean, like, you know, so many people should have punched that man, which by the way, why did John Q not go to jail for assault? <laughs> like, I get it. I, I mean, no, I don't get it. He's going to jail I, I, for taking hostages. He kidnapping a wrongful imprisonment. Yeah, but he also punched the SWAT guy. He punched the the. I I'm I'm curious. I'm I'm curious. The SWAT guy shot him. So I mean, it's it's fair tradesies, you know. If you're if you're being attacked, I think you have a right to defend yourself. Not if you're a criminal, Bill. You beat the shit out of a cop. That's called resisting arrest. There's literally an entire thing about it. You can't do he it. Wasn't, he wasn't read his Miranda rights. He had no idea what was going on. He just got shot. That's an interesting question. At what point during a hostage situation do you have to get read your Miranda rights? Mm-hmm. Probably probably the first time they talk to you. <laughs> I guess. Um, uh, what was I even saying? I don't know. That's that. That's breaking my brain. Oh, though. the cra- the crappy, the the bad, the bad reporter man. Yes, um, that's a part. But the real part of this that feels like it's taken from a '90s movie is the the pan ethnic, oddball group of characters who are in the ER when he takes them hostage. And after like 20 minutes, he lets the first group of hostages go. And these people fucking love John Q. They are so <laughs> on board for him. The the Spanish speaking woman. It's just mm-hmm. like, oh, he's a great man. He's the best man. He's a saint. And the the couple that's having their first baby are like, John's the best. Love that guy. <laughs> Fucking rules. <laughs> and everyone's like, oh, uh, all right. Well, we should all like throw a mini Coachella and uh, totally be on John Q's side. <laughs> and then you've got they it, also people. come to his trial later and like speak, you know, <laughs> basically say like, no, no, it's all good. And then like he's not charged with murder, <laughs> attempted murder, right? Even though he held, a, you know, but a gun and and threatened a whole bunch of people with it. So this is the thing. This movie does a lot to uh, inoculate uh, John Quincy Archibald 
against sure all of the bad things that he's doing. Uh, for instance, you have um, one bullet sh- in his gun. He, he doesn't even have the bullet in his gun. The gun is empty the entire oh, time. That's, oh, yeah. And he when he loads it for himself. Yeah. E from Entourage <laughs> says, are you telling me that gun's been unloaded the whole time? And he was like, yeah, I was never going to kill anyone except myself. And it's like, oh, come on, John Q. Um <laughs> Yeah, no, this movie works a little too hard to to sort of have its cake and eat it too in terms of having a hero who is a mad gunman, <laughs> but right. also Denzel Washington, who obviously you love him and, and obviously he's the good guy um, and, and nothing about his character suggests anything menacing at all, even the fact that he's holding a bunch of people hostage um, versus like, for instance, Rebecca Payne uh, and Haish, the hospital director who is just like, like a cigarette smoking. I believe that she shoots people on the weekend for fun. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing. (laughs) Kicks puppies. (laughs) She is a bad person. The mother tells the mom that her kids on the donor list when he's not like just, because she wants John Q dead because on her weekend, which is usually when she hunts people, she got pulled back into work and she needs blood. She requires oh. blood when it she leaves me the to hospital. My favorite line of this movie, by the way, which I believe it's um the I believe it's Frank Grimes who says someone's talking about how it's a Saturday and he goes, So what? People get sick on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> Right, like, and that's the kind of even, like what is that what are you even trying to say movie with that like, it's like oh to these people it's just a job but to the people on the inside who need their help it's life or death one of my favorite moments in this movie which i this is actually a moment that i did not remember um i had it all wrong in my brain is that when john q's best friend um is getting interviewed he gives an eloquent john oliver-esque speech <laughs> complete with like rhyming couplets <laughs> and turns a phrase that would make Ross Perot happy. Like, it's just, the, the, he's like, you know, you know, uh, what you got is you got like surgery patients, you got inpatients, you got outpatients, and you got out of luck patients. You got blue collar, you got white collar, you got no collar. And I'm like, this guy's an oratorical <laughs> genius. <laughs> Wasn't he like just a shit kicker two scenes ago? <laughs> Like, what happened? I thought that he was going to get up there and, like, just, like, you know, be a, a bit of mockery and stuff. And I'm like, oh, no, this man is running for Senate. Like, if you saw that interview today on Twitter, you would suddenly see that man's name and everyone just going, he's running. Like, that's... It's but crazy. That's- but that's how the movie goes, because every time they need someone to make a point, they become... An eloquent genius. It's like an Aaron Sorkin film without the rhythm. <laughs> like, this is bad Sorkin. And Sorkin is already not great Sorkin. <laughs> but, oh like, God, when E, gonna... when e like, breaks down how HMOs, like, pay doctors not to do tests. <laughs> and then when, when shitty uh, girlfriend beater McGee, whatever that guy's name is, is it Mitch? Mitch. It, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a very douchebag name. <laughs> when, when goddamn Mitch is talking about like, you know, oh, like, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, everyone's got a gun. I don't know where I'm going to do. And then um, James Woody's like, you know, he's right. You know, God, you know how easy it is to get a gun in this kid town? Like five minutes at a gun show, snaps his fingers and like, Oh, it's an anti-gun movie now, too. That's weird. I feel like the hero's holding a gun. 
<laughs> it, there's a level of like um, hip, hypocritical, uh, backbreaking over correction in this movie that I feel like is intrinsic to a lot of Hollywood films, but that this one really foregrounds. Well, the movie is also sorry. No, go ahead. Uh, I I was just gonna say the movie is also um, sort of like we'll take it just to a certain level and then pull itself back from really going there in terms of its social critique. Like it wants to say that something's wrong, but it kind of stops itself from saying who is wrong exactly, <laughs> who's responsible. Like you know the way that it so wants to villainize the hospital director who's just one person directing one hospital, you know, or like and who probably re- isn't really the problem with the system at, at the end of the day, right? Or you're even there's I noticed that like and I can't really remember examples, but I even noticed there were a lot of moments in this movie where even kind of rank and file healthcare workers were kind of mean and unsympathetic um, to John's plight. So it's just like the movie has to work so hard to make him holding this hospital hostage um, feel like something that we can cheer on. Uh, But at the expense of, you know, uh, really like sharpening its critique of like what exactly is wrong here and who is at fault. I feel like the biggest and almost most insane example of that is the end of this movie, which doesn't just end with John being let off for the most part or, you know, a cute like wave at his son or anything, but a series of clips (laughs) featuring cameos from prominent pundits, uh, politicians, Etc. That uh, I'm sorry. Seem- well, which is 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 Jay Leno a pundit or a politician? He's <laughs> <laughs> um, more of a d- doofus. I, I I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know what the proper categorization is here. But I find the moxie of that final montage. Uh, it, it, it's audacious to make this not just about John and yeah, it's, it's obviously like, I totally agree with Laura that like, it's obviously trying to make some big statement, but also it's everybody, (laughs) it's everybody who's the problem. So, so the fact that it ends with that is just, but it doesn't even end with that. That is the bridge to get us to the court scene. Oh, it is. Where all of the people are there, presumably hoping that John doesn't go to jail. Yeah. James Woods is like, I'm here because uh, I was held prisoner, but I I kind of enjoyed it. Um, It it helped (laughs) me to find my soul as a doctor again. Um, That's the thing. That's another thing. Oh, I'm, I'm skipping around so much. I'm having so much trouble just talking about one thing in this movie. But like, this movie does feel like there should be arcs for all these characters and none of them have any. Mitch is still a piece of shit. I don't know what Eddie Griffin is doing here. Uh, e from Entourage as a nurse. It feels like he's like going to step up at some point because like he goes and like fixes uh, Eddie Griffin's fingers. But then like nothing really happens again until he like has his anti HMO speech. And like yeah. you think that like James Woods is going to realize like he's right like I've let like the money and the fame like ruin what was for me like a life saving call to action. None of that. There's nothing. <laughs> These people exist and then end at the same. The woman goes from blonde to brunette, and that's the sole <laughs> sum of her character arc. Now wait, now wait. It's it's not true because because the the doctor James Woods 
he starts off to remember there's this hilarious scene at the beginning before John Q takes the hospital hostage where he's like he's like saying goodbye to like a patient he just treated who's in a oh wheelchair and he's white yeah. and they're like this old like old white couple and they're like joking about like seeing each other at the club or whatever and he just got some they're like oh well now you'll be able to play tennis again like now that I fix your arm or whatever it is um and and it's like and it's like that's the kind of patient he treats and then we see him tell john and his wife that his son is dead and um or his son sorry his son is dying and and they can't afford to save it save him so and then later remember um the guy with the gunshot wound yes oh no wait it's not the guy with the gunshot wound there is so there is the guy with the gunshot wound who the paramedics bring he needs to treat him and and he treats the guy with the gunshot wound even though he's like i can't do this i'm not an er doctor this is this is, this is not the kind of doctor i am but then he treats him anyway 10 seconds and, later yeah and then he eric from entourage is like you should see what this man did he's a hero he's a genius like when he's done treating the gunshot wound like 20 minutes later um so I like we didn't see it. That's that's <laughs> kind of the problem is that like we don't get to see James Woods being like, all right, you know, I had like two years as a trauma surgeon before I like leveled up to cardiologist. You know, like we don't see him rediscovering himself. And then that's another crazy thing is that that letting that guy in is like the thing that makes a bunch of people think that John Q is awesome because even though he has taken a hospital emergency room in a major metropolitan area hostage he let in a single gunshot wound victim and then forced the medical staff underprepared to do something and the man happened to live okay but they also it, it, john also helped that person on the phone get to another hospital so you know he's a good person. right yes <laughs> he has he saves at Just least 78 cats direct. in this movie but they <laughs> all bond over their shared like frustration with the healthcare system and that's where the movie's like message comes into play it's like we are all in this together like we we are all united uh in the against fight james against shitty healthcare. but like <laughs> I, what's and also james- i just don't feel like they spent and you know the movie doesn't need to be longer but it really doesn't feel like they spend that much time together and get to know each other that much better um because again the conversations they have are so over and or underwritten and so baldly about the issues at hand that like, I don't feel like we get to know any of them. Like there's a point where like John says, I'm going to murder, I'm, I'm going to murder myself. I'm going to commit suicide to give my son my heart. And a nurse just bursts into tears. And is like, that's so beautiful. It's so brave. And it's like, we know we're aware of the sacrifice he's making. Where, why are you here? You know, this is bananas. And then she, at some she's, point, she's, She's saying that because it is one of America's finest living actors, Brian. That's, that's, that's she why was, she's saying it. She, she wasn't supposed to have any lines. She just saw him pull off that line and she started crying. And they're like, roll on this. I don't care if she gets a SAG card and we have to pay her extra. <laughs> and, and pay her insurance. Exactly. It's, um, it's, it's also, I my partner pointed this out. It's really horrifying that all the EMTs left the hospital. Like when the hostage situation happened, all the EMTs ran out leaving, you know, what are there? Two, three doctors left. Like it's like everybody just ran out. I would just so I would love a crossover of last week. We talked about bringing out the dead. 
Sure. And I would love it if uh, Nicolas Cage and Tom Sizemore were the paramedics that dropped off the gunshot victim. <laughs> because Nicholas like, Cage would definitely be doing? in there. What if, yeah. like what the hell are those guys doing? They're like, hey, we got a guy, and he's like, go to an hospital. Like, you're the closest one. This guy's gonna die. And then this, he's he lets the guy in, and he's like, what's wrong with him? And the two guys are like, all right, I'm leaving. He's got a gunshot wound. Ooh. <laughs> Um, you know, because you're I, using a gun, but this man actually is a victim of gun violence. Think about that, John Q. And it's what, it is one I'd of those love, insane. It's again, all of these are just the the perfectly insane choices that make this movie so memorable. Well, what I love about that sequence, though, is the yeah the the EMT that doesn't immediately run away is just like looks back at John and is like is like loading up the van again and just looks back at him just like man another fucking tuesday like what what is going on this is wild it like he looks so unperturbed about having a gun pointed at him that he's just like whatever man like right and that's you. why it needs to be nicholas cage <laughs> he can just drop the guy off and be like i haven't saved anyone in three months <laughs> it's, um, I have these eight day, eight day, eight day year old pizza. <laughs> it's very weird. It's um, yeah. it's very strange. And uh, but he does. Uh, so yeah, he's gonna kill himself in a. So there's there's a uh, the Silla the, the the movie the show Silicon Valley mm-hmm. has we a scene all over the place. <laughs> the show Silicon Valley has a scene where. Richard needs to tell the guys not to delete something after he's told them to delete it. But his phone runs out of batteries and then his like his car keys are kicked down a storm drain and he can't get on the bus. And meanwhile, at home, the guys are like, we should have a drink to celebrate this this uh, thing that we've created before we delete it. Like, yeah. And then they get a beer and they're like, you know, it would be really good with this beer is like a lemon wedge. Yeah. And then they go and get lemons. And like all of this is just bullshit to stretch out the tension of whether or not. Richard is going to be able to get there. And this movie has the same goddamn thing. Yep. I hit the sw- safety. Yeah. Oh, yep. the safety's on. Oh, guys, the safety was on. And then, like, the, the, the radio going off. And it's just like, just, just let him die or have the heart show up. I just don't know what to do with this moment right now. <sighs> and um, the fact that... The, the thing that blows my mind, and one of the reasons I brought up the fact that like it doesn't feel like these characters bond, is just the fact that you know Mitch or someone is like John. You really gonna like kill yourself to save your son? And um, he said like only one thing is gonna stop me. And they're like what? And he's like if Mitch is B positive, and everyone's like ha John, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Johnny boy. <laughs> that was great that was great mitch is like a dick who tried to take out john and got the crap kicked out of him by the girlfriend he was abusing and now he's a lovable punchline to a joke about murder from the man who's been holding you hostage in terror all day it's also the scene with mitch where you know his girlfriend like beats him up which you know is supposed to be a triumphant moment i still think it's funny that like they still insert shots of people laughing as he's getting the shit beat out of him like it's a it's a really like even knowing he's a most likely is a terrible person (laughs) like it it still was just wild to me that people were just like aggressively laughing and then as you're saying brian that later thing like uh, like it's just a joke no worries 
Well, the the movie, I guess, again to to highlight how little the movie um trusts the audience to get its what it's doing. Like yeah. when he when he brings the sniper out without any pants on, uh, we hear a person in the the crowd scream, "He's got no pants on." <laughs> <laughs> Like, I just remember all the booze. There's yeah. so many. There's so many things like that, like inserts of like the crowd reacting, so that we know <laughs> that the crowd is on his side. And again, there's like so much about this movie that like sounds like it's a great idea. It's just the yeah. way it's it's done. That's like such a weird. It's not. It's not pulpy enough to be like a kind of grindhousey or even like earnest action thriller like Tony Scott would make. Um, or like Dog Day Afternoon or you right. know, and, anything in that genre. Yeah. Right. And like, you know, Dog Day Afternoon may be like a little higher end than that. But like, it's also not a, a screaming polemic that is like, <laughs> oh, Michael Moore finally decided to make a fiction film. It's it's this weird crossbreed in between thing that I really don't know when the last time I saw something like this was. That's like so confused politically. I, I I don't know. I felt it a little bit with Bombshell. Did anybody else here see Bombshell? I did not see Bombshell. Like a Bombshell is strange because it is very much you can tell it's made by someone left leaning, but it's trying to get right empathy. Uh, and uh, like and when I mean right, like they wanted the Fox News audience to watch that like it, it, they're not interested in moderates they wanted to preach to the unconverted <laughs> and like I, I i think that is like the last time i can re- really remember like a cognitive dissonance in the way that this exists it, it, and that's i i think what's really weird is like at various points, I tried to identify what the political conscience of this movie is, and it's so contradictory. <laughs> like, at certain points, it's libertarian. At certain points, it's, you know, liberal. At other points, it's, you know, like, talking points about uh, institutional waste. <laughs> like, it's, it's just well, a fascinating mishmash. It is weird because like it 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 talks about how private healthcare fails him, and then it talks about how the state, you know, and the government is failing him. Sure. The only people that come through for him are his friends and the church, but unfortunately the church is like a small church. And it, it also doesn't lean on that a lot either. So it's very weird because again, I feel like in a Tony Scott film, Tony Scott, who who we've discovered clearly has an anti-authoritarian streak and loves the people like below middle management and finds every other layer of bureaucracy to be um, either incompetent or evil. He's like Hawks, Hawks's uh, descendant in that way. Howard Hawks's descendant. Um, And this movie is just a a little too muddled and mishmashy to really like lean on any of those and, and go nuts about it. Well, Brian, you also DM'd me about the strange uh, musical sting that they do every time that it returns to the crowd. Right. It kind of reminded me of Con Air. (laughs) Oh, okay. Yeah, I was I I was thinking of Inside Man, but it's it's almost like a new metal version of Inside Man. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) It's memorable. I definitely thought about it. Laura, and, I'm sorry if we're just hating on this movie. 
movie that you love. We we really did find this like a fascinating experience, and I hope it's not coming across that we're just trying to hate on it or anything. Yes, no, not our intention. No, I mean, like, I have like a very deep uh, connection with this movie based on just chance. You know what I mean? The fact that I watched it so much, and the fact that it's Denzel Washington, obviously. But uh, I understand. I mean. And it's too bad you can't find the joy in it that I find. You know, I I think that I I think that I found that joy. Like that. Like again, I I beyond the Denzel performance, which again is is flawless as all his work is flawless. It's just it really is. It's it's and, um, and the, like, the boy that plays his son, by the way, is very good too. Like all of the scenes yeah. with them are genuinely very moving and yeah. well done. What's his name? <clears throat> I should find. Mike Archibald, Daniel E. Smith. I don't know if he really did anything else, but he was very good. Yeah, no, I mean, he was great. And again, that's just, I feel like you can almost feel in a Denzel Washington movie the work that he's probably doing off camera to like ingratiate himself to certain people, to like really find a vibe with certain people. You know, it it's it's just, he's incredible. And I, as much as like, um, as I'm giving it crap, I, I find, you know, a lot of these idiosyncratic choices to be more interesting than like something that that was made in a lab you know to appeal to everyone like it is strange that this movie it doesn't feel like it was i don't even know if i can say it's a singular vision like it, it has a single writer credited you know but like none of these people are like strike me as being auteurs like in a movie like this denzel washington is the auteur yeah, because he's the one who's forming everything around him. But it the is writer just such didn't a... really do much else. I don't think he was like a, he wrote for some TV shows, and that was kind of it. So it's kind of clear where the weak spot in this movie is. <laughs> but at the same time, like it's the batshit kind of writing that I think makes it so much fun. And there's something about a movie that is so like part of what was panned when this movie first came out. And I think Roger. E- mentions this in his review is just how earnest it is it's just so overwrought with like earnestness but um maybe it's just the hindsight of uh 2020 that makes that more charming than it probably came off at the time uh and then more just sort of like fun and it's like well if that's the worst thing in the world a little bit of earnestness (laughs) maybe that's not so bad after what's also weird is that it's it's earnest but as we said it's it doesn't know it doesn't feel like it knows what it wants to be earnest about no it just wants it just really wants to be when isn't that the most earnest thing yeah, it's like a dumb puppy that wants to make you happy but doesn't know how. And it's just going to flop around the house until it figures it out. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I was watching it and it's not like a, some movies where I'm like, oh, I hate this. Like I was engrossed the entire time because as we've said, all these choices are so bizarre. And it you can feel everything in this movie. And it's it is truly singular. I don't know. Like I said, I I can't name a movie like this. Money Period? Monster by <laughs> Jodie Foster is money, but does Money Monster like this? Like, if if I were to watch Money Monster, would I say, oh, like you know, they're they're really truly? Like, I don't other know. Than we're just... talking. Sorry. No, go ahead. 
Oh, no, I was just going to say, we were talking before. I find it so hard to not interrupt people on when, when we're recording like this. Um, yeah. I apologize. No, when I'm we were talking it. about how this movie is sort of like um, like a complete 90s movie, even though it, it, it was made in 2002, the movie that it reminds me of is Speed, which was, I think, 1995. Okay. But it's got very speed, kind of mid-90s thriller energy, where it's just like, <laughs> it's very patently ridiculous situation that would never happen and it's sort of like vaguely righteous um, in its tone and, um, you know, kind of wants to stick up for the little guy. And there's like a motley assortment of like central casting kind of characters. Um, so to me, it's sort of like in that vein. Um, but it just like it, it, it because it's, it doesn't totally like I was saying before, commit to being like one or the other, like a thriller or a melodrama or what. Um, it kind of maybe makes it a little bit more singular. Yeah. And I think that speed pulls off better that whole, like everyone is disparate and now they're coming together as a unit. Yeah. Thing. And this movie does not really land that plane at all. Well, they're all on a bus, so it makes a little more sense. If, if I may, speed was a little more realistic. than <laughs> adventure. <laughs> I mean, come on. Oh, I love that. <laughs> That's that's going to be a new thing that we do on this uh, on this podcast, right? Where we ask, is this more realistic than John Q? Speed, yes. John Wick, probably. Well, I'm I'm kind of curious too, uh, Laura. Before we started, you mentioned to you know that not only is this comfort food for you in the sense of it being a Denzel Washington film, but it. It's also a very specific kind of, you know, beyond the energy, like it's a very specific kind of middle brow, um, you know, straight ahead, you know, kind of hammer headed uh, action thriller that we don't really. It's a very easy movie to watch. Right. And yeah, we don't see a lot of this anymore i mean it's it's either you know a big kind of blockbuster franchise kind of movie or like more of an indie and there's not as much in between um and i think this sort of like very broad strokes almost like lowest common denominator like you can watch this with your kids like i my boyfriend has an eight-year-old and i find like it's going back to the 90s and early 2000s it's so much easier to find movies that aren't like cartoons or necessarily made for kids, but that like a kid can watch and an adult can watch together. Like I find like nowadays, like that's actually kind of hard to find. Like it's either like completely like a a Disney animated movie that is obviously a kid's movie um, with like jokes inside jokes tossed in for the adults and, uh, or like, you know, just an adult movie that's going to be like too racy in some way for a kid to watch. And there's just like, I don't know. There's not a lot of this just sort of like a movie that a bunch of people can watch together. Maybe that's just a, also a, 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 a sort of symptom of the fact that fewer people watch movies by like going out with the family all together to see something or like renting a movie to watch together. Like you can really yeah, you tailor can an experience. Right. Um, but I think there is something missed, like something lost uh, when we don't have those kinds of movies that aren't maybe amazing on a sort of technical level or logical level but that um, that are just like a really elemental, like it's just like a movie with a capital M. Like you can see what it's like, 
all the big broad strokes of what it's trying to do as it's doing it. And it's like very much announcing to you what it's doing as it's doing it. And there is something kind of fun in that. And I don't know, maybe, maybe as a kid, me watching this movie over and over, it, it was like, almost like seeing that structure that's usually a little bit more subtle and hidden underneath the surface. I mean, it's you know, interesting that you say that. Cause now I'm thinking about like all the times I would go to a friend's house for like a sleepover and we'd watch like con air. Right. You know, or like those kinds of movies. And the parents would be like, I am fine with this. This is fine. Yeah. You know? It's like, it well, how is big like Titanic was when I was a kid. I remember it was like a yeah. big event and it was like one of the bigger, one of the first movies that was like an adult movie that we were allowed to see because it was like somehow important that we watched it. I don't know. I remember that being the feeling and <laughs> you know, it wasn't totally appropriate in moments, but it was like, okay enough. Sure. Um, we don't really see that enough movies like that anymore that, that are really just sort of hitting that, that really are do feel like they're trying to please everybody and you know i don't hope wish that there be a, every movie be like that but I, I wish that there were more these days i think it's weird because as i get older uh, you know like as a kid i was obsessed with other things uh, I've, I've mentioned this on here this is a very dorky thing about when i was a kid i i used to be obsessed with ratings because i my parents wouldn't let me see r-rated movies so <laughs> I was obsessed with like what thing, why things were rated R, for instance, or PG-13 as a way to try to persuade my parents to let me see it. And like, I, I think what's <laughs> interesting as I get older is that like this type of PG-13 movie doesn't even necessarily exist anymore. I yeah. feel like even thrillers we get like, you know, they might be really stylish or something, but they're really edgy and they're really you know pushing the bar you know whether you know i, I i'm not gonna <laughs> uh, whatever like something like deadpool for instance i could see that being pg-13 uh you know a decade and a half ago but now it's like a hard r and like the gimmick of course is that it's a hard r but like i still think i i know that's obviously in a different uh budget uh, arena than what we're talking about but i still think there's something really interesting about this being pg-13 but also us pointing out that like <laughs> you know offensive uh lowest common denominator quality like the same you're talking about brian with con air like con air is a lot of bad taste jokes oh really <laughs> you think so <laughs> but like you think sally can't dance is a not a great <laughs> uh role model for the kids <laughs> but it's it's not just you know it's not that just that budget i i think there is really something interesting to that idea of something appealing to everyone and and i feel this actually with with my mom when i i have to be so careful what i recommend to her these days like there's some things that you know they're not going to be violent or they're they're not going to you know have too much swears or sex or something but like I feel like so many of the larger movies these days, they're like incredibly violent as a baseline. <laughs> like there's such a odd like tameness to this. Like it, it has those mm. moments of like, I, I, I don't know, like uh, these intermittent thrills, I guess I'll call them. Well, that's the, the uh, weirdest thing about calling this a thriller is that like, it's not a lot. No of thrills like this is a very relaxing movie. <laughs> <laughs> I like and maybe it's just because I watched it before, but like there's only like one time where there's any tension that something might like bad happen when he almost gets shot. 
Yeah. Okay. But yeah. you can, again, uh, watching it today, you can feel the movie setting up all the ways in which he will not get shot. <laughs> <clears throat> like the, the, just everything. Just like the fact that the news is on it. The fact that uh, Eddie Griffin is there and is like calling his attention and uh, just like just everything like, you know, I the movie is not going to end this way. Like this isn't that kind of film. Did you like that? They unscrambled the police encryption. I loved that they had like a teenager in the back of the newsman who was like. Who sounded stoned. It was weird. Like budget DJ Qualls. Of course he is. Um, I also want to say, I, I said Sally Can't Dance, and I had to know if I was right. And yes, that is the name of the character in Con Air. I don't know why I retained that. Um, I just needed to toot my own horn. I don't know why. Um, yeah, there's just, there's, there, there is, again, something about this movie. It's, it is a, and it's one of the reasons why I kept thinking it was from the 90s, because it does have that vibe to it of like, this movie uh, is a movie that is existing to tell this story and doesn't appear like it's trying to peg itself to anything or really sell anything else. And then we don't get a lot of that. Like this is, I sometimes think about the movie fallen, uh, another Denzel Washington film. Um, mm-hmm. which we perhaps will talk about someday as we work our way through his filmography. Is that a procedural? It's like a procedural thriller that also has like a supernatural element to it. Okay. It's like, have, has anyone on this podcast seen it? What, Fallen? Fallen. No. He's a police detective who is super excited to see a serial killer get put to death. Um, only to realize, maybe too late, that the man who he put to death may actually have simply been uh, inhabited by a demon. Oh, yeah, totally. And um, <laughs> I think about it because like it's got it's got a John Candy. No, not John Candy. Um, it's got a John Goodman in it. It's got um, Tony Soprano, whose name I just blanked on for some reason. James Gandolfini? Yes. <laughs> okay. And it's just, it's, it's, but it's such a weird movie because like, it's not a special effects showcase. It's not like a crazy action thriller. It is a, a, a small mid-tier thriller procedural mystery that is centered on whether the demon Azazel has taken over a man and is now trying to find its way into Denzel Washington by ruining his life systematically. It's such a weird movie. I'm so happy it exists. It will never be made again. <laughs> like that kind of film just doesn't exist. John Q is another film that like it, it really used to be like if Denzel Washington wants to make a movie, that movie is going to get made. Mm-hmm. And we just don't have that anymore. And yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's curious to think about like, what are the movies nowadays that I guess you could go and like see as a family that like it would have something for everyone. And I I guess it like mainly just horror movies and like only again, if your kids are down for a horror movie, you know, there's like a lot of things I can't recommend to my mom. Like I'm like, Oh, that's like the, like I was amazed when she watched the Irishman, like, (laughs) And, but even that is like relatively tame as far as Scorsese <laughs> <Yes>. goes. <laughs> yeah, no, like if that, a teenager I, was like, "What's out now that I should see?" I'd be like, "I don't know." Um, I guess a movie that kind of feels uh, similar to this would be something like Ready or Not. Just in terms of like, I could see like taking a twelve-year-old and like a thirty-five-year-old to see that movie. 
I feel like a lot of the uh, Jean Calesera, like specifically the Liam Neeson, like uh, maybe PG thirteen thrillers, yeah. I, I could see having. Like I'm, I'm surprised those don't make two hundred million. <laughs> like, right? Yeah, they ought to. I mean, the Shallows. Yeah. I mean, okay. So yeah, yeah if shallows. if I were to choose a director to remake Fallen, I would want it to be Jean Calesera. <laughs> What about John Q besides Clint Eastwood? <laughs> <laughs> um, Darren Aronofsky. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> All right. Um, so, yeah, uh, Laura, this was your choice. Wow. Are there any other? <laughs> Bill's just chiming in with the wow. <laughs> this was your choice to talk about this. Uh, was there anything else that you wanted to speak about this before we wrap up? Um, no, I think we covered it all. Thanks for chatting for an hour plus about John Q. <laughs> I'm so excited that we were able to do this. Um, I hope, <laughs> I hope that in our manic state, we did in fact hit everything. I feel like I'm going to wake up at 1am and be like, Oh no, we didn't talk about this one very important part. <laughs> um, again, I just want to say like the woman in the BMW straight up deserved to die. And I'm glad that she did so that Mike could survive. <laughs> and- Amen. I want to underline how crazy it is that this movie opens with a BMW commercial, basically, <laughs> and then <laughs> drops it after she is brutally killed in a head on collision. And then only cuts back to her when John Q says, I'm hoping for an act of God. Oh, there is something I wanted to add. You reminded me. So apparently on the DVD commentary, um, I didn't actually hear it, but apparently either the writer or the director says that the movie, what the movie is about is a miracle happening and John like, you know, making way for the miracle to happen, which I guess they mean the woman dying in the car crash um, (laughs) and then becoming, you know, the donor for, for Mike. But like, I think that kind of explains why they open this movie with the, the car commercial, because it, it's like, if you see the movie is about a miracle and it's just all these other brand, like, gazillions of plot twists and characters are just like really uh you know forming a backdrop for this like true theme of the movie which is wow a miracle happened what's crazy is that i kind of love that and i would love a movie that was about that but i don't feel like this is that movie that's not that i know like, but clearly, like if the movie's about anything it's about like the need for socialized medicine <laughs> you know what i mean it's like what a way around the the what your movie is very obviously about and what everyone is taking away from it i i i can't i can't find any apparently i think there's something wrong with my imdb right now i was going to go look up one of those like crazy christian movies that like is about like the guy who fell through the ice or the girl who's running heaven is for real and okay so overcomer is one of the movies that i was thinking of so like what if this movie was directed by alex kendrick the uh fireproof yeah the director of overcomer what if that like what if they really leaned into the miracle part like what if they kept all of the basics the same like it's still got to be denzel washington he's still got to bring a gun into an emergency room but what if it really does in the end wrap up with because the movie does like make a point that this is a christian family like they go to church and the wife even says like i would tell you what i think of you but i'm a christian woman but like what if it really leaned into like the evangelical cinema i would love that that actually might be a great movie I would love a a Christian movie that's legitimately like, take a gun, go make a miracle happen. (laughs) 
God. <laughs> that is the final thought that I will will leave. Oh, James Parsons says David Fincher for the Fallen remake. I could be uh, for that, but I think David Fincher is not making any more movies ever again. <laughs> His Fallen would also be like three hundred million dollars, and I would have no idea why. <laughs> yeah. Oh man! Speaking of Martin Scorsese, two hundred million dollars to make *Killers of the Flower Moon*. What's up, crazy man? So that's it for today. Uh, we have talked about John Q. We hope that you have enjoyed it. Um, if you are listening to this and have an idea for a movie that you would like us to cover, feel free to tweet us or email us podcastfilmstage dot com. We are keeping a running total because again, we do not know how long this quarantine is going to last, and uh, we're working our way through some stuff. To be able to still keep talking to you week to week. Uh, we hope that uh, if you listened live on YouTube, that you enjoyed it. Um, keep an eye out on our social media for next week. We will tell you when we're going to record and when you can listen live so that you, like James, can chime in when we ask a question. Instead of shouting it at your phone, you could actually type an answer to us. <laughs> We um, are brought to you by Mubi, M-U-B-I.com slash filmstage for a free 30-day trial of Mubi. Presently, they have A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night uh, by Anna Lily Amanpour um, and a bunch of other great films. Again, that is M-U-B-I.com slash filmstage. Don't forget to go to Patreon.com slash filmstage show to give us your money. And uh, yeah, Michael Snydell, uh, next week, are we talking about the true history of the Kelly gang? Um, yeah, yeah. Yes, right. we are. Awesome. Looking forward to that. Uh, the star of 1917, the director of Assassin's Creed. Oh, it's Kurtzel? Yeah. Okay. Okay. How sure. are you? How could you be excited about it without knowing that? I, I, I don't know. I kind of forgot about it. <laughs> <laughs> so the answer is you were not excited about it. <laughs> Oh, man. All right. Uh, well, it's been a true joy. Uh, Lars Aram, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for bringing us John Q. Thank you for giving us uh, an excuse to talk about John Q. Anytime. Fantastic. Would you like to tell the people at home where they could find you online? Uh, at Lars Aram on Twitter. Awesome. Bill Graham. Uh-oh. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. Uh-oh. What? Bill's lagging. <clears throat> uh, sorry. It's okay. Just tell us where we can find you, Bill. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at CableBFG. Uh, you can also find me trying to fix my internet uh, right here, right now, live. Uh, and you can also find me on the Slack channel, mixing it up. All right, Michael Snydell. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Snydell. Uh, you can find me on Letterboxd. Uh, I'll have a piece of the spool about the uh, restoration of uh, Thousand Pieces of Gold, which will be available uh, through the uh, in Chicago, the Siskel Center of Virtual Cinema uh, this week. Uh, I'll tweet about it. It's available other places, but uh, I'm looking forward to being able to write about that one. Uh, kind of a lost film at the moment. All right. Uh, as for me, uh, you can find me on all the social medias at Brian J. Rowan. Don't forget to go to schmidtspirits.com to give to the GoFundMe to help my uh, distillery produce hand sanitizer for our community. 
I think that's it. I don't think I have anything else. Uh, find every episode of this podcast at thefilmstage.com along with all of our writings. We will be talking about the true history of the Kelly Gang next week, so look forward to that. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much, and tune in next time. I am shocked that no one yelled at me for playing a song that said Owner of a Broken Heart as the intro for this movie. Oh, I get it. I just, <laughs> I just got that. There we go.